Right, so hello and welcome to another one of these lockdown versions of the Generation Gap show with me, Clive Glover. And every um, time on these programmes, I am a baby boomer, and so I talk to someone from a different generation, generally a millennial, about the differences and similarities in their lives today and what it was like for me. Now, this week again, I'm glad to welcome Chloe again. Hello, Chloe. Hello. And um, so we're going to talk about the sort of future. We're going to look up from um, all the things that are going on right now. We're going to recognise that sooner or later it's all going to be over. And so therefore, there's some things which we need to think about in terms of going back to what we we laughingly call normal. I think recognising it's not going to be quite the same ever. Um, but in particular, people getting back to work. And at the moment, people are starting to go back to work and people are obviously um, sending their children to school. Mm -hmm. So things are things are sort of changing now. And I think we want to just look at this whole issue about um, work in the future, because I reckon it's going to be quite a lot of changes. What what do you think? I Yeah, I, I do think there's going to be a lot of change. Um, I, I mean, obviously, we've, just, we've discussed this in the past, like, you know, people are at home, they've they've had a chance to, you know, think about things they need to do around the house, but it has given people a lot of chance to think. And I think they're going to be reassessing their life and, and, and what they want, really. and um, and we were just saying earlier um that people commuting every day to london and um and for take for hours on end I mean, the fact it could take them like two hours in and two hours out it's four hours spent traveling a lot of people are going to think to themselves what's the point do i really want to do this anymore so i think there's going to be a lot of people changing their career paths or maybe even go for early retirement yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking too. I mean, I, of course, actually did a career when I spent most of the time working in London and commuting in. So I was doing exactly that. I spent over 30 years commuting on Thameslink. Mm. Uh, <laughs> probably. A, uh, I look back on it now. I go on the trains, obviously, sometimes, not recently. Um, yeah. And I think, how on earth did I do this every day? Oh, My yeah. Goodness. I mean, also as well, considering the the viruses that you don't want to be near people, do people really want to climb back onto trains and be squished up against one another, like risking the uh, of catching the coronavirus again? I don't think so. I think they'd rather work from home. Well, exactly. And in fact, I also spent a long time working from home. I've been doing it for nearly 20 years in one way or another because mm. I had that. I was one of the pioneers, I guess, and I had a big battle with my employer to say, look, if I'm going into the office, spending an hour and a half getting there, sitting down at a computer and writing a sort of 25 page report, why don't I just stay at home and write it and email it in? You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It looked at me and sort of, what? oh, no, you can't do that. We, we can't trust you. I said, but you're not measuring at, when at the time I'm sitting at a desk. You're measuring the output. You know, I'm going to write you a 20-page report. If, I, if you don't get it, then I haven't done it. And then yeah. you can complain. And, of course, I, I, I'm able to get up, do the report, and probably do it in a couple of hours, whereas it would have taken me all day, effectively, in the office. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And then when you're at home as well, like you literally, all you have to do is actually go into your office, write the report, and, and then you're done. No distractions at all, because by the time you've got yourself into work, you've had all these other things in your head, and you need time to focus. Whilst going straight to your office, you, you're straight in the game. I don't know if you had much time working in office, but obviously there's a very large chunk of time which is basically chatting to people in the office. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know all about making, that. <laughs> making coffee, going to the water cooler and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And if you sort of, if you really did a sort of motion, you know, time and motion, whatever study and clicked on your sort of stopwatch every now and then about how much time you actually spent sitting down, concentrating on your work. And of course, you also get your phone call distractions, your email distractions mm -hmm. and all the rest of it, which you can have at home as well. But you can also turn them off in a way which is a bit more sort of subtle, perhaps at home. You just say, oh, I'll turn the phone off, you know. That's yeah. It. In some um, ways, there are a lot less distractions at home indeed 
indeed. Anyway, I think the other thing we should just talk about is really that um, although we're talking about people going back to work, there's an awful lot of people who have actually been working the whole time and are still working. They have. We should recognise that. Now, obviously, we know all about the um, medical staff, the nurses and doctors and all the ambulance drivers and all the other people like, like around the so medical care. They've obviously mm-hmm. been working. People working really in care hard. homes. Care homes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we know about the shopkeepers, particularly the supermarkets, which have been struggling to start with but managed to catch up and so now there's certainly it's very unusual to go to a supermarket and find that there's run out of some things they may run out of a handful of things but basically yes they still haven't brought back vanilla essence i really want to make a good cake but i can't until i get that vanilla essence so i'm still holding out for that <laughs> okay that's one i hadn't spotted but i i know um there's particular things obviously they have problems with but essentially you're not going to starve if you go to the supermarket no. you can buy things you want no yeah. definitely not uh, but, but over and above that, I think the things that are invisible to me uh, or visible to most people are important to me. The, um, you know, we, we've got our homes. We're at home. We expect at home we can turn the tap on and get water out of it. We can yep. um, plug something in like our phones or computers and the electricity is there to keep them going. The broadband system, telephone system yes. are working. And these are not by magic. There are people going into their offices and to their places of work to keep this all going. And um, I think it's important to recognise that as well. So actually, I think the proportion of people who are actually working or have been is probably quite high, really. It's not, I don't know what it is, 40%. No, I mean, they have kind of painted this image that, you know, everybody's had to stay at home and that's it, shut down, no one's going anywhere. But there there is a very large proportion of people that I think have had to to keep going because of their job, because they need it. Like, as you were saying about the broadband, for instance, I mean, our um, TV cut off the other week and um, we had no channels, no, and we gave them a call and said, could you pop in? And uh, and they did. They came in on the Wednesday and I got talking to the lady and she said, we have been flat out busy since the moment this all kicked off because she said um, people are working from home. They're depending on their broadband and their internet uh, to keep the kids entertained, to keep working, you know, to keep up their contact with their work. So they've had to make sure their broadband's up to top notch. So they've been round the clock working so hard. Well, indeed. And in fact, I'm really pleased that just by coincidence, I upgraded my um, broadband in January mm. to super fast fibre or some such thing. And of course, that's made a huge difference. And it makes a difference when there's two or three of us all at home here, um, logging into something or other or doing something quite, you know, quite sort of stretching on the broadband. Yeah. But we've got enough space to do it. It all works. It's really well, good. Exactly. Well, you depend you depend on these things so much. I mean, obviously, we know how much you use the internet each day, but the fact that you'd be in a space and so people using it it's really important to point out that if these people didn't come in and help us and and sort it out for us we would be probably tearing our hair out by now (laughs) well i've also been quite impressed there's a number of things i've done like phone up various call centers of various kinds insurance companies one or two things like that Mm -hmm. and I've i've been quite amazed to have them answer the phone very quickly yes and with real real people and also apparently real people in this country rather than being in god knows where yeah <laughs> um so um and i said oh I'm, I'm pleased that you're there you know and so on and often they've said oh well i'm actually working at home but yeah. obviously the call center's got the technology to switch it through to their home numbers yeah and also for also how understanding they've been as well i um i had to call a call center quite recently and they were they were very calm very polite very uh, well put together considering the situation they were like no we completely understand your point of view and we we and you know they've been very um empathizing empathizing empathetic to the situation and it's um it's really lovely because i bet there's a lot of frustrated people that call these people and i could understand why they would then get frustrated but they don't they keep up their professional um self up very well and i think that's very impressive 
Well, indeed. And obviously what you're sort of implying but not saying is that in the past, ringing a call centre is something I basically dread usually because it's so difficult to get through to explain what you're doing. And you find that the person you're talking to is a call centre operator and they have no knowledge really of the business they're supporting. Um, maybe that's unfair, but so often I've found it. So I had one occasion when someone said, oh, no, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I'm a call centre operator. I'm I'm basically a help help advisor or some such thing. I said, well, can you help me? Oh, no, I don't know anything about that. You know, it's not nothing to do with me. I'm just, I just answer the phone effectively. Really? Yeah. And this oh, was my actually, God. I've never had that. I've, I've always had. I she, mean, was too, she was too honest, basically. Ah, <laughs> see, I've had, I've had people braced I felt a bit of tension on the phone like they must have had a bad call of the time before I called and they've been braced for another argument and I've managed to go oh hello sorry my apologies but that, that's I mean I've never had them say they couldn't help me at all that that's a that's that's a new one I haven't heard that one or maybe I've, yeah, the, maybe I've been lucky with the call centers the, the phrase was I'm only an advisor what well, said so can you advise me no I can't I don't know anything about it ah, good good <laughs> Well, no, no, yeah. I have not experienced that from anybody since all this has kicked off, I must say. Anyway, right. So um, all these people are working. and mm-hmm. But now, of course, what we're looking for is people who are trying to go back to work, often particularly small businesses. And they're people who do things which we've discovered are really rather more important than perhaps people reckon. So mm-hmm. um, people like hairdressers are now going to be very sought after, aren't they? Well, I tell you what, I just heard um, uh, a show earlier on in the week and they were talking about how people are on the sly doing haircuts and going to people's homes and trying to get an extra bobbin or, you know, uh, but only to their regular customers. But a lot of the hairdressing community have actually been in uproar and been really upset by this fact because they've stuck by the law. But there have been those one or two few who have done the kind of backstreet haircuts on the side. So because people have been so desperate to get their haircut, it's just been amazing. Literally four weeks into lockdown, people are complaining about their hair. Well, it's obviously very important to many people. And I'm not being funny about that. I mean, it clearly is very much in part of your um, your personality, I suppose, isn't it? What, ha- getting a haircut? <laughs> Well, no, I mean, how you look effectively in your hair is a important part of that. Um, so, so I accept that. Yes, I mean, I think it is one of those things. I, I did see somebody saying that they're a hairdressing salon and they were starting to take bookings. Yes. And basically they got six months bookings already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I can understand from like because different types of hairs need different types of attention like you know um and uh and these certain type of treatment maybe the, the hair their hair can't be sorted at home like for me I'm quite lucky with my hair that I I can do most of it at home apart from the trimming of course but there are quite a lot of people who need professional help with their hair and it's, it's also it's a it's a it's a confidence thing it's for their own mental health in some respects as well for some people that their hair is um very distressed and that that could upset them so no the hairdressers are being counted on a lot and I'm not surprised there's six month bookings I mean I was wondering I mean obviously you live in a family where you've got a number of people there with you mm-hmm. have you been tempted to um cut each other's hair my mother's actually only uh, actually, actually cut her own hair I did offer um she noticed her fringe was getting long the other day and I said do you want me to give it a go she looked at me and went nah I'll do it I was like right, then fine go for it and she didn't actually it looks quite good she trimmed her fringe it looks very well balanced so I don't uh, so yeah so um but no my my sisters though haven't needed it yet my sister Jen's actually determined to grow her hair out so she's been more focusing on um hair masks and to naturally nutrients her hair uh, during the coronavirus 
Wow. Okay. Too much information. <laughs> so, so apart, apart from um, those sort of things, clearly there are a number of businesses which are basically essential that someone is in there doing the job. Something like hairdressing is just a good example of that. Equally, some other medical things like dentists have all been shut over the period. Yes. And I think that's going to stack up quite a lot of um, uh, sort of back customers as well. Yeah, well, the thing is, there's, there's again, there's been loads of articles on people who've been in horrendous pain with like their wisdom teeth growing through or cracks in their teeth. And the dentist have said, I'm really sorry, we can give you some medication, but you can't come in unless it's a real emergency. But not be funny if you're in, I mean, when you get a toothache, that really hurts. I don't see what could be more of an emergency that you're in so much pain that you need serious medication to numb it. I would have thought by that point, you'd get them in and get it sorted. But um, but yeah, dentists, I think they're definitely being appreciated for what they do now as well, even though I must say I'm not a massive fan of the dentist. But if I need them, I know I definitely need them. Well, yes, indeed. Um, so there's quite a few other jobs like that. I mean, now, the other thing which um, I'm sort of moving towards is that the big one, and it's a big one certainly in this part of the world, um, is the hospitality industry, particularly yeah. so-called. And that ranges over things which, of course, you have expertise in because I know you worked in these things. Things like restaurants, pubs, cafes is the, the big one. Yes. Um, they are going to be opening or be able to open, I think, in another week or so's time. And obviously, they're all running around like mad trying to work out how they can cope with all the various conditions. Mm. And the big condition is clearly that they have to have a, a separation between people of two metres minimum. And obviously, <laughs> I guess most tables in cafes and restaurants and so on are designed to actually get people together so yes. you have a much smaller spacing i guess if you're going out with someone you're living with anyway you can obviously share a table because you're doing it mm. at home anyway but then those tables have got to be put apart I, i'm aware of a cafe uh, near where i live which has um, recently um, tried opening up uh, they're obviously doing takeaway but as they're actually on a farm they've got a big sort of field nearby and they've put tables out with about sort of I don't know 10 feet between each one um, and it looks quite funny there's a field with just the, all these tables stretching off into the horizon oh, okay um, and of course they're not serving to the tables but they're, they're selling takeaway but they're accepting mm. the fact people then go walk out with their takeaway and then pop along to oh look, look there's a table conveniently quite nearby I'll sit there um, I'm not quite sure how close that is to the, um, sort of meeting the requirements of the law, but I, it seems to me all right, I should imagine. Because I mean, I wouldn't see a problem with that because, like, you know, you, you can go to a park and sit on a picnic bench with your lunch and and, and sit. So I, I don't think that would be a problem, really. No, I think it's all right. But, I mean, obviously not everyone's in that situation, particularly in, in town centres and so on. Mm. Um, I suppose I can put a table outside in the, in the street and so on, but then... That's actually in the way of people walking past. Um, so, I mean, um, the other thing is the one, of course, you, I know you, you've been working in the theatre mm -hmm. and also cinemas are, I guess, are the same. I can't really see as any way they can open up with the separation still required. Well, no, I mean, cinema, they've been getting around it because they've been releasing their movies on Prime and getting people to pay to watch on there, which has been a very good idea because, like, you know, it costs you a tenner to watch a movie uh, uh, in the comfort of your home and rent it for a couple of days instead of going to the cinema. Usually it costs you, like, £10 per person. So the, the, the movies, I think, are getting some money in, but the cinema's not so much. Um, but in regards to the theatre, it, it would be very tricky because 
especially if a show's popular, like these shows are booked like months in advance and, and you can fit up to what over a thousand people in these rooms. And a lot of the time these tickets are completely sold out. So then the argument then would be like, you know, do you pick and choose? Do you say, right, these people can come and these people can't? And then you've got to then keep an eye on like, you know, families and how many are going to be sat in some place and then the space between them. So I think it's going to be a, be a while for the theatre, unfortunately, just because of the um, restrictions that have been put in place by the government. Right. And there's also two or three other aspects. I mean, clearly, um, in most theatres, you sort of arrive a bit early, go to the mm-hmm. bar or stand outside before you're allowed to go in and sit down. And so you have to keep separation for all those things. And then, of course, the, the other thing is you need to find plays you can do where the actors don't go too close to each other. And I yes. imagine that's probably a real challenge. <laughs> well, yeah, considering there is, I mean, there are very few plays that I can think of where it would work if they literally were two metres apart from another. And also as well, you would have to, you'd have to have a, a lot low, lower um, cast on stage as well. Uh, you can have like a full cast of like 30 people. I don't think that would work. I'm thinking apart from um, waiting for Godot is the only one that comes to mind. I can't right, see yeah. you could really do a play. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I think obviously they're really going to have to wait until the separation rules are relaxed or completely abolished, yeah. which seems to me like going to be a long time, I'm afraid. Well, the theatre community are getting very worried at the moment now, and I, and I don't blame them. I'm worried myself. Like, you know, the, the fact that the more this goes on, the more they're going to suffer for it. And unfortunately, with the arts, it, it does involve people coming together and watching it. I mean, they have been doing um, live shows um, on, like, uh, uh, streaming. Instead, so you can pay, like, a certain amount of money to be an audience member and watch a stage performance. And they've had, like, two actors on stage acting. Um, and and that's, that's been good. That's been bringing in a bit of revenue. But no, that... I think that's what they're going to have to focus on more until they can actually get people in to personally see it themselves. I suppose the other one, which is particularly in a similar sort of um, situation, is sports. Where yes. clearly they're, they're starting up various sports, but they're going to have horse races, they're going to have football matches, but they're not going to have any crowds or not going no. to have any. any I think they, they won't not have any audience. Um, there's been suggestions, for example, the football players' families will be allowed to sit in the stadium. Yeah. Um, and that sort of thing. And obviously separated is easy then. If you've got 60,000 yeah. seats, presumably you can put in a 50 yeah, I think, people. I think they can there. space out with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's all just not the same, I imagine, isn't it? It's really no. very difficult. I mean, the atmosphere will be gone. It's, it would be, it's, I mean, there are certain things that I think as us, as a, um, as a country uh, or as a nation, we, when we watch things, we get used to crowds being there to appreciate it. And it adds to the buzz. It adds, it adds to the, the show almost. And with a football match, I mean, a lot of it is the fans. You're watching them, watching their excitement and watching like um, a match just them. I think the thing would be weird. It would look more like a, a practice than a real thing, really. Yeah. Okay. So um, in terms of working, then the other thing is now, you know, you are a millennial and I was just doing quick sort of calculation in my head that um, we talk about millennials as being young people. Mm. Um, but actually, strictly speaking, it's really anybody from about 90, born about 1985 onwards to 2000. Yeah. So it means the, the oldest of those people now are probably about 35 or 36. Mm-hmm. And I believe statistically, um, millennials now, people from, from about 19 up to 36, are effectively half of the workforce, or at least they were, you know, before COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that means that actually you're going to be the major group in work in some ways. Obviously, older people 
will still be coming back. But, you know, it's the time when younger people are taking over. Now, back in about 11 years ago, they had the financial crisis. I think it was 2008, 2009. And people just coming out of university or just leaving school trying to find a job at that point really suffered. And I have a niece who was one of those people and she just finished university, got a very good degree and so on. And she spent four or five years basically bouncing around from all sorts of little part time jobs and just not getting into what she wanted to do as a real sort of career. It took her probably seven or eight years to actually manage to finally get into a place where it was sort of what she'd really wanted to do in the first place. Um, and at that point, she was finding she was also competing, of course, all the time with actually younger people coming up afterwards. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering if, in fact, perhaps there's a repeat of that coming up or, in fact, the situation might be better. As we said a little earlier, a lot of older people who are perhaps close to retirement or have the ability to retire or think, oh, well, I, I don't really want to do this particular job anymore. I'm going up to London and that sort of thing. They might say, well, OK, I'll, I've got two or three years I can do something else. I've always wanted to do X and I'll have to give it a go because I'm financially secure enough to do that, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So there'll be a big dropout rate in perhaps more senior roles. And it may be that younger people now are actually going to have a, a lot more opportunities this time around. Um, and I just wonder whether I'm making it all up and uh, it's, <laughs> or I'm being optimistic. And what do you think about that? I mean, I would love if that would happen. That would be wonderful. Well, obviously, it suit you well. <laughs> it would suit me to the ground. That'd be great. I mean, I yeah. I mean, I find I've probably in the same situation as your niece in the fact that I came out of university and I'm still kind of floundering a bit as to what to do. And when this all kind of kicked off, it was just a bit like, oh, I mean, it was it it, it was nice in the way that it kind of gave I think people like me a bit of a break to think, right, let's you know, regroup, let's reassess what we're doing. But at the same time, it's now like, right, but what what will happen? Because of course, the economy is kind of struggling. It's going to need workers in. But it's now thinking, right, is this the right time to start a career? Do I, do, will I be able to start a career? Will it just be like, I have to just keep going until something comes into place? Do we have to wait for things to settle for a couple of years? It's, it's a bit up in the air, but it would be nice to think that because, as, as I said earlier, it's given a lot of people time to think about what they really want. It's going to open doors for people that may not have realized those doors were there before because they weren't there before so no that that is that is a nice thought and if that, something positive could come out of this where people could actually move forward and other people could finally you know slow down that that would that'd be lovely I'm sure in many careers, by the time you get to about 30-something, you get really annoyed because there's that person who's been here 25 years already and they're just in the job you want and you're just sort of counting down how many how many years before I can nudge them and say, look, there's an early retirement scheme coming up <laughs> or whatever. Oh. <laughs> and I, I'm being a bit facetious, but I mean, the point is that, you know, progression in some of these things when you've chosen a career is something where, you know, there's often not often not very many jobs i mean for example in your chosen area of theaters Mm. uh, i wonder how many people who've been managing or directing or uh, organizing a theater for you know the last 20 30 years might say oh goodness i really don't want to go back and do that now so they resign and suddenly there's a vacancy to be the manager of a theater Maybe, maybe. I mean, it, it's possible, uh, but yeah. some young whippersnapper like you says, "Oh, I could do that. I could do that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's loads of possibilities in the fact that yeah, people may maybe thinking along these lines and maybe thinking that it's it's time for a change. And I think, I mean, I hope, as you say, this kind of outcome will come about, and that you know, good things will come from this because I think people have suffered so much. It'd be good to finally get some good news after all of this. I think. <laughs> 
Well, indeed. I mean, the other thing is that over the few years I've been doing this program, I've been very impressed with young people who are starting their own businesses. Yes. And certainly, certainly when, when I was that age, um, you know, you were looking for a job in a big company of some kind and you expected you'd probably end up like your parents' ages, which is, sorry, my parents, not yours, um, where you'd sort of get into a company and you'd stay there for years potentially and work your way up slowly. And then after, you know, 10, 15 years, you've been promoted sort of middle management area, that kind of stuff. Now, this doesn't really happen anymore, although it happens in a few companies. Um, but uh, obviously, we didn't think of starting our own company. That would be, you know, just sort of beyond what most people really could do. They didn't really understand it. And I think it's things like The Apprentice and so on on television to yeah. encourage people think i could do that or these are real idiots i could do things 10 times better than them is what i usually think of the apprentice (laughs) (laughs) amount of times i watch the apprentice thing i could do all of those challenges i just wouldn't want to win the money again because i haven't got a business idea so you know i'll get to the end and go thank you for letting me win but i i can't i've got nothing for you so i'm gonna go now Last year, or perhaps the year before now, um, I did actually meet one of the apprentice candidates who was in the current series at the time. And if you look on the Radio Verulam website, you can find the interview we did with her. Um, mm. And it's quite interesting. I mean, she was a very nice person and she did, um, you know, she did quite well in the competition. And she's obviously running a business since then. Um, but it was quite interesting to talk to her. And of course, she told us a few things off the record, which was quite interesting about how the program works. I'd always had an impression that they choose people not for their ability, but more for them to be sort of entertaining on the show. All right. So they, they provoke arguments and things like that deliberately. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> you would never believe it, would you? Yeah. Um, anyway. Okay. So I mean, do you think, I mean, amongst your sort of friends and, and people you know, do you think there's many people there might start this? There is a good argument. If you look back, some of the biggest companies in the world were started out in recessions. You know, yeah. the, what look, looked like the least possible um, time to start something is when people actually started something which became enormous. So there's a little clue for everyone. Go out and start your business tomorrow because that's when you, you'll do really well. Yeah, because I think there's going to uh, people's viewpoint on things are going to change, aren't they? What's important? There's going to be a lot more people now at home thinking, right? What was important for me during this situation? I mean, and and I think there's there's going to be some clever people out there who's going to see a, a gap in the market and jump for it. It's just figuring out what that gap is. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'll give you a, give you an indication. I mean, I've been getting any number of messages and things and emails and Facebook messages from people starting up home deliveries of various types of food. Mm. everything from gourmet meals already prepared in local restaurants which are now sort of takeaway places but also a lot of people supplying um ingredients and you know it goes from just raw ingredients saying this is you know a vegetable box or a fish box um through to um people saying well you know here's the entire contents of you know look at jamie oliver's um recipe for this that and the other and here's all the ingredients in the box delivered to you so you don't have to bother looking in the cupboard or you haven't got particular ingredient you can just open the box take everything out follow the instructions and you get a fantastic meal so people are trying all these sort of things i mean none of this is brand new but it's just the volume of them i could get everything delivered to me i think now and i've even had people offering to sort of deliver milk wow that's oh, really? a good throwback, throwback oh the milkman oh yeah that'd be nice bring that back yeah yeah um, I think something in your family about that I remember reading about. <laughs> yes, my grandparents were milkmen back in the day. So I I, I have a um, an attachment to that kind of thing. So yeah, that it's, it's, a lo- it's a lovely old fashioned thing and it would be nice to see it again. 
Well, I keep saying it sounds very modern to me now, if I tell you. I mean, it was an electric-powered vehicle delivering milk door-to-door in glass bottles, which could be recycled by washing oh. them out, not, not, not smashing them up and, and no. recycling as they do now. I mean, I'm not sure and, about the electric robot part, but I like the glass bottles. I no, don't see why not, we got rid of glass bottles. I think they're so much better to use. Well, no, sorry, it's not a robot. It was an electric vehicle, basically, an electric van. Oh, Okay. Um, so, well, basically, they only travelled a few miles around the town because they're all based in each town. And um, they just went back and charged them overnight. Then in the mornings, they got out with the milk floats, they were called. Mm-hmm. They're very slow, slow, of course. But then again, you didn't want to drive too fast with loads of bottles of milk and glass. No. Um, and, uh, you know, they just went up and down various streets and put the milk on your doorstep, picked up the empty bottles and so on. Um, and that was into the sort of, I suppose, early 70s. They still had those. Um, but it went out of fashion because supermarkets arrived and started selling milk much cheaper. Yeah, yeah, too cheap, I think, sometimes. Well, I'm sure from a farmer's point of view that is the case. Yeah. Anyway, so, so, so I mean, these are the sort of things I suppose people could start out and try. And at some extent, again, I reckon a lot of people are going to be thinking after this, well, it may not work, but, you know, whatever, I've... You know, I could try it now, and if I if it doesn't work, then it's okay. I can go back to doing what I did before. But as you said, I think people are considering what they've been doing, looking back over it, and saying, "Did I really want to spend the last twenty years doing this?" Yeah. I keep coming back, keep coming back to commuting because I think that's probably the the, the big uh, thing about this. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. The commuting part it's just the thought now of getting in your car and even just driving for a forty-five minute drive. It's just like, oh, can I be bothered? It's just like effort now, isn't it? Thinking about it, it seems the furthest you go these days is going to the supermarket. Right. Okay. Well, that's interesting as well. I mean, of course, yes, and environmental things, which obviously are always in people's minds, are going to come back as well. Say, so, well, it, as you say, if I can work locally, or I could do something locally, or work from home to yeah. a large extent. Why should I do this and drive and you know, use up all this petrol and put out all this carbon dioxide? Oh, um, and exactly. I think starting businesses in the environmentally friendly things is probably going to be a, a big boom industry to to my mind. Well, yeah, I mean they, I mean it's definitely done the environment a world of good just by us stopping for ten weeks, twelve weeks. It's just it's brilliant, really. So no, I mean to keep that up, I, I, we might as well really at this point. Well, I saw a, a photographs from Kathmandu where they said that for the first time anybody could ever remember, they could see Mount Everest, which was like 130 miles away. See, they, that, um, that's incredible, isn't it? It's normally covered in smog in the city there because it's just typical like many sort of um, third world country cities. <laughs> well, and first world country cities like London, of course, is very polluted in the um, with the cars. Yeah. Um, so there's plans to phase out petrol and diesel cars. Maybe they'll become... F- brought forward you know maybe we'll say it's been so nice having these um pollution-free streets let's do something else about it exactly now i imagine you're the same as me but you may have noticed the lack of aeroplanes flying over as well yes yeah i saw what i mean i've only seen a handful of them since since this all happened and when when you see one it's like oh where do you think you're going <laughs> well that's right well i've actually got an app on my um, ipad which tells me every aeroplane you've got to get a map and you can see the planes flying across and you click on them it tells you exactly which plane it is what the flight number is where it's going to it's oh. quite amazing except now i mean like luton there's yes. almost no no airplanes whereas no. normally there's hundreds of orange ones flying off yes loads of them but no not at the moment no it's quiet quiet on the front there yeah, yeah. okay so anyway i suppose we ought to wrap up now so um 
do you, do you feel more optimistic perhaps about the future in this? I mean, I've been trying to, I reckon it's quite positive in many ways because it's going to open up opportunities. And as you say, people thinking about doing something different or not doing what they've been doing, mm. I think is going to be something that people are really going to be doing. And they're going to say, oh, I've just got my invitation. I can go and start back, back to work on Monday. Do I really want to do that? Yeah. I mean, I personally think as well what's nice about it, which the optimism has given me, is it's going to give people kind of the chance to not be so harsh on themselves. Because I think in this society, it's very much like you have to have a career, you have to be ready, you have to have everything sorted out by the time you're 30 years old, go, go, go. And this has stopped everything. It's stopped a lot of people in their tracks and gone, you can't, sorry. So I think it's going to give people a lot more appreciation and a lot more t- um, and a lo- lot more leeway on them to say, no, it's, it's fine if you haven't got things sorted out. You couldn't have had things sorted out by now. So, you know, take a breather and, and take it in your own time because, you know, it's not a race. It's fine. Calm down. So I think for that uh, sake, it's, it's a good thing, definitely. Right. OK. Well, thank you very much, Chloe. Nice to talk to you again. And um, I think uh, we've provided some food for thought for a lot of people listening. So um, yes. thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you again, Chloe, for turning up on this, of course, um, socially distanced by 22 miles by my calculation. Um, yes. And um, we'll speak to you again soon, no doubt. And thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Generation Gap Show here on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you'll listen again to the show. You can subscribe from iTunes, Google Play and, of course, from Radio Verulam's own website, radioverulam.com. <laughs>